Welcome to the Your Destiny Podcast. Let's talk a little bit about money, okay? Now, the reason why I love talking about money because it's it's a very easy tool to explain things by, but um, it's not just about money, but we're going to talk about every aspect of life, anything that has value because money represents value, yeah? Money represents actually your your time and your energy, yeah? I'm giving you, I don't know, eight hours of my day, and in those eight hours, I will put effort into, hopefully, yeah? And the only reason why I can put that effort into is because I my skills were honed, crafted, perfected during my three years, five years, eight years at university, whatever it is. So it's all, and therefore, you give me money. Because that is, like, money equals time plus energy. It's just that. Um, so when we talk about money, it's basically anything that is of value for us. But let's just start with money first. Um, and, and approach some biblical foundations when it comes to money. And I just need your participation. All right? How much does God own yeah, in, in this realm here that we call the universe? All of it. Okay? Anybody? Something else? 50%? 80%? After, after all of it. <laughs> yeah? He, he owns all of it. All right. That means everything that is spiritual... Everything that is physical, any material thing, apparently it's God's, all right? So if he owns everything, how much do we own? Yeah? Do we own everything? Do we own nothing? Which one is it? I do believe that, let me put it this way. I believe he's given me temporary custody of some things. Yeah. And that's what he comes all down to later on. This one thing called stewardship. Wait, if he owns everything, then yes, he's given me access to everything that he owns. But whose is it? While I'm still trading with it, whose is it? Still his. And I, so... This is my wallet here. This 10 pound note is given me kind of responsibility for. It's a privilege. It's a responsibility. It's great. Um, but ultimately, this is his. Everything belongs to the Lord. Because um, as, soon as, as soon as I'm talking about mine versus his, um, things get a little bit tricky. But we'll get to that in a second. Okay, the world system, our financial system, um, is really built on lack. The, the fewer things are out there, the more expensive things are. Yeah? That's why dirt is dirt cheap, yeah? and diamonds are very expensive. Because there's more diamonds than dirt in the world. It's, huh? Uh, there's less diamonds, sorry, yes. More dirt than diamonds. So this is it. And basically everything that the world puts value on, it's because there's a limitation to it. Yeah. So, so again, that everything in this system that we live in is built on lack. Now the kingdom is very different. It's built on abundance. He's like, guys, come. Like if you wanna if you wanna 
gain life, lose it. If you want to be my disciple, sell all and you'll have more than enough. Nobody's going to just give everything up without gaining everything. It's just Jesus' kingdom is, is upside down. It just is based on this thing of complete abundance. My cup runs over rather than, oh, i got barely enough. But entering into God's system of finances, it requires that faith in us. And that's, that's the gift of Jesus in us. But it requires that shift from what we can see and trained to think at. And then everything that we have, because it's not built on abundance but on lack. I'm not holding things with an open hand, but I'm clutching to everything because this is mine. Yeah? Because there's only X amount in my life. And that's usually determined by my salary. Yeah, it's like I only have this much money. If I give you that much, there's a lot less left for me. And I don't like that. Yeah, so therefore, let's hold on to this very tightly. In Mark, is it Mark 10? With the, the young rich ruler. Jesus, he comes and he's like, Jesus, what do I need to do? And after a couple of things, Jesus just tells him, Sell everything. Sell all. Sell all. Give it to the poor. Another big thing. Don't don't sow it into my ministry. Yeah? You'll be blessed. This is good soil. You can sow. no. Give it to the poor. Come and follow me. And you'll you'll gain what the very thing that you're looking for. Now this is the only interaction that we know in terms of a potential disciple who then turned out that he'd rather not follow Jesus to that extent. But whenever he came up to any of the other disciples, you know, Matthew, he probably had some money being a tax collector. Peter wasn't a very good fisherman because everything that we know about him, what are you doing, Peter? You're just never finding any fish being out there all night long. Um, For him, it was probably an upgrade in in job. It's like, yeah, this... It's not going to work out. I'll be your disciple, Jesus. But he's just like, come and follow me. Come and follow me. Just, it was always leave everything behind. And then Jesus is, is almost rude when the disciples say, like, can we, uh, can we just say goodbye to our dad? Do you know what he answers? You and me, well, of course, not a problem. Here's my phone number. You take your time. Just, you know, do whatever you need to do. I don't want to... That would be one thing that I couldn't ask. Just, of course, you know, we need to honor Father. Jesus is like, let the dead bury the dead. <laughs> what do you do? What do you do with that? Like, seriously, Jesus, what, what is it? He's like, follow me. And there's really only one acceptable answer. Yes. There's really that only one. And it's not yes, but, or yes, under these circumstances, or yes, with those amendments. It's just a yes. And uh, it's, it's that sort of thing. When, when Elijah, he's the second one, isn't he? There we go. When, El, when Elijah calls Elisha, you guys know this story? He just, he comes up. He just does the, Elisha, Elisha he's, he's plowing the field. And he's got, he's got oxen um, yokes, and he's actually c- carrying one of the yokes. So he's just, he's like 
proper blue collar guy. He's he's right in there, you know, I'm a farmer and he's just plowing along. And Elijah comes, <laughs> throws his coat onto Elisha, and keeps on walking. Yeah? Like And then Elisha realizes I've just been commissioned. I've just been called. And he runs up to Elijah. like, here's your coat. Just let me say goodbye to my dad. And Elijah just like, what have I done to you? Like, You've just thrown your coat on. What do you mean, what have I done to you? Um, but it's this thing of, come and follow me. And then Elijah, Elisha, second guy, like, right, I know what I'll do. I'm going to say goodbye to my dad. But actually, I'm going to burn everything. I'm going to burn my bridges. And he literally just built an altar with the yokes, burned the oxen on top of it. It's like, there's no chance for me to ever think, ah, oh, I'm glad I had my plan B. You know, I'm glad I left that little back door open because today I think I'm going to take it. No, just like, I'm not going to give myself the opportunity to turn back. That's extreme. But he's the guy that then at the end got a double portion. He's just like so sold out. He's like, you know what, Elijah? I want twice as much as what you have. And Elijah's like, got nothing to do with me. I can only give you what I have. Yeah? This whole double portion, lay your hands on me for a double portion. I don't see that in scripture being being a, a gift of impartation from one human being to another. That was a gift of God. It was like, and then, that's a fascinating story, but we're not going to go into that one. But he, he ends up having a double portion. I love this. He ends up doing exactly twice as many miracles as, as Elijah. He dies with one miracle left open. That's crazy. He only raised one person from the dead in his lifetime. Yeah. See, but if you're asking for double portion, that matters. Seriously. That either you have the double portion or you don't. You don't have 89% of the double portion. Yeah? You have 100 or you don't have anything. And again, just the story isn't over just because we die. That's insane. And that's, that's something of kingdom perspective that is so important for us to keep. That eternal perspective in every decision that we make. Because I think if you, if you lose sight of eternity, you make some very poor choices today because all you can see is today and it's going to be a very immediate gratification that you seek rather than actually investing into eternity. So Elisha, um, Elijah raised one person from the dead. Elisha, Elijah, sorry, Lord help me. Eli, num, prophet number one, Elijah, Elisha. Oh, yeah, it's up of, that's, that's a good answer. Elijah raises one person from the dead. Elisha raises only one person from the dead. And, he, ah. and then he dies, and he gets buried. And then a dead person gets thrown on top of his bones, and he comes back to life. Boom, double portion fulfilled. After he's dead. What do you do with that? Because you could go to your grave being so disappointed. John the Baptist, never knowing whether he actually was the one that calls out, was the one that prepares the way of the Lord. He never knew. Jesus never gave him a straight answer. Yes, I am the Christ. He's like, just tell him what you see. 
But it was that. There is that, am I following Jesus? Full stop, rather than, yeah, but uh, there's still, mm. yeah. So when it comes to our finances, it's one of those massive indicators because it, it represents so much to us. It represents a lot more than just our time and our energy. Actually, uh, it has this alluring invitation of security. Like, trust me, trust me. Because money, with money you can buy yourself all sorts of things. And your future is secure. You know, your pension plan is secure. Um, your health insurance, you know, just, you cover yourself with money. That is, that is the, the invitation that, that money wants to offer to you. It's like, you know what? If God should fail, there's always money. And that's what it comes down to. God entrusts his things, his wisdom, his power, his wealth to servants and this is in the context of us being sons. Please don't, don't think that we have to choose between one or the other. But sons that understand that the father is good and servants that understand that it's always his and he can choose to do with the stuff in our hands whatever he wants to do. Yeah? Servants that are actually tested, who are aware of he's the master and I'm not. That's great. It's really great news. That means, actually, I am not responsible for coming up with what to do with the money, but I'm responsible for doing with the money what needs to be done with the money. Yeah? Two different responsibilities. Okay? That lifestyle is called stewardship. Basically, I'm looking after your stuff on your behalf with your interests in mind. That's what stewardship is. So, Dad, and Jesus is... is Told so many parables, you know, a king gives his stuff, his vineyards, or, you know, just talents being, being given to different servants. I'm going off, but you look after my things with my interests in mind. That's what stewardship is. Yeah? And stewardship, um, just in Greek, is basically a house manager, the one that looks after the house. It's like, it's yours, but I'm looking after it. Okay? Now, from an outside perspective, you wouldn't actually know who the owner is. Because the guy that looks after the stuff, oh, he's got the same authority that the guy that owns the stuff. In fact, you probably see more of the guy that looks after the stuff than the guy that owns it. Yeah? So, uh, that's the stewardship things of, of it. It's, it's the aspect of, yeah, people may think I'm wealthy or rich. But this is, this is still his stuff. But that's not, and again, we don't just talk about money. We talk about looking after people in, like in, in the family church setting, for example. The people that you see with a mic, they, I'm still gods, yeah? But they, they've been entrusted with this, this great authority and responsibility to look after us. So what's the conclusion? I do believe that all believers are stewards. Yeah, we, we all are. All believers are children of God. Some of us don't really know it, and then we act like orphans. Yeah, Some of us, we don't know that we're actually stewards. 
and that we behave like very bad ones. A good steward is um, both faithful and sensible. Yeah? Faithful in whatever it is, not just when the master is watching, yeah? not just when it, when it counts, when everybody else is watching, but faithful. And that's Jesus just so, like, he's, he's constantly saying about, guys, it really matters. Every decision that you make matters. If you're faithful in the small, then you'll be given riches. But if you can't handle this, who's, if you can't handle someone else's riches, he says, who's going to give you your own? Like that. It's stewardship. And the master puts the servant in charge of his people and resources until he returns. And the resources are to be used to care for Jesus's stuff, his body, his vision, his desires, his kingdom. And we really don't like this. And I don't have a, I haven't quite married the two of them yet. The whole grace aspect and the whole stewardship aspect in its extremities. So maybe I just need to do a bit less extreme. I don't know. But according to Jesus, when the master comes back, the stewards that have been faithful, they will get promoted. Yeah, and the stewards that haven't, they won't. Um, and we're like, yeah, but it's all grace and it's all good. It's true. Your identity is never at stake. You know, you're not getting kicked out of the family of God. But there is a fire that comes and tests us. 1 Corinthians 3 talks about that. And depending on how we build on the foundation, and that's the foundation that's not at stake. It's Jesus, yeah? But how we build upon it, Paul says, some of us, we build with gold, with, uh, with silver, and with precious stone. Some of us, we build with hay, with straw, with wood, and the fire is going to test it. Yeah. Proverbs says, everybody is strong, but if your strength fails in the day of battle, what strength is it? Like everybody looks good on their good day. Yeah. But can you keep course? Can you, can you stay faithful when, when it doesn't matter or so it seems? Can you just, it's, it's that sort of thing, all right? Ah, let's do this. In Matthew 13, we've got the story as well of the, um, the young rich ruler. Okay, Matthew 13. The kingdom of heaven. What? Say what? Ah. Actually, we're going to go first somewhere else. Matthew 13. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field, which a man found and hid again. Yeah? Just imagine this. You're going somewhere, and you, you trip over whatever it is that the treasure is, and you hide it again because you want this thing. And from joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking fine pearls. And upon finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. Kingdom of heaven is like that treasure. And there's this invitation that Jesus offers us. It's like, are you willing to sell everything to purchase that field? 
But then the very next verse actually says about the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant who finds a pearl of great price. So who is that pearl of great price? Actually, it's you. It's you and me. Kingdom of heaven is the merchant, and he found something that is worth selling it all for. It's you. So I love this about him. He's never asking us to do something that he wasn't willing to do himself. Now you can say, well, yeah, but that's unfair because Jesus, you're Jesus, yeah? And I'm just me. But he's like, actually, apparently greater things you and I are going to do than him. So, but it's this, he's just saying, do you understand that I was willing to give it all? In Philippians 2, it's, it's, it talks about Jesus just not counting anything worth holding on to. He's stupid. He just, he just got rid of everything that his, his, um, his divine powers, his everything. And he was willing to stoop as low as being killed like a thief, like a criminal. It's just like, it's, you know, I counted all this loss, Paul says. It's just, it's that. Luke 14, verse 33, Jesus says, So therefore, none of you can be my disciple who does not give up all his possessions. Ah, okay? That's the end. That's the end of our story. We're going to start at the beginning in a second. But it finishes with, None of you can be my disciple unless you give it up all. And I don't think he meant it metaphorically. Like, oh, it's just a nice little thing to say, you know, sounds good. No? Ah, because, and it doesn't mean that you end up in poverty. I really don't believe that. Um, I don't believe for once that any's, anybody's destiny is to become a millionaire in the kingdom. I do believe that some destinies in the kingdom require millions to be in your bank account. Very big difference, yeah? And so, um, please, everything that I say, it's not against wealth. Quite the opposite. Apparently, Abraham and Isaac, I love this, they grew and grew until they became very wealthy, yeah? Just great stuff. God's not having an issue with wealth at all. Quite the opposite. He's like, how is, do you think it's yours? You're grabbing hold on to, and, and not letting go. Or, or are you, have you learned the art of stewardship of saying, I'm letting it all go. It's all Jesus's. Whatever he thinks is best to do with this, I can. Let's start at the beginning of the story. Okay. Luke 14, verse 25. Now, large crowds were going along with him. And he turned and he said to them, I love this. He's the worst PR person in history. Jesus never, he would have, he would have 12 followers on Facebook, yeah? And then 11 at the end of his life. He's like, oh, unfollow Jesus quickly. Yeah, he was not concerned about crowds. In fact, every time there was a big crowd, he's just like, Ah, uh, you know, there's a blind person. And there's, there's lots of people around. And he's like, we need to go somewhere else where nobody can see what I'm about to do. Why? 
He's, he's not interested in any of this. Large crowds follow him. They're about to make him king. And he just turns around and preaches the worst sermon in the history of mankind. Guys, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood. This is in the Jewish culture. of Everything is unclean, yeah? You can't be my disciple. And they're, they're like, oh, he's just, now he's lost it. He turned into, this is a cult now, yeah? Cannibalism. Like, what? So right here again. Now, there's large crowds following him. Let's be careful what we say. Let's be politically correct. Let's just make sure we don't offend anybody. Because, ah, you know, there's momentum and we want to reach as many people as possible. There's all good stuff to it. And then there's Jesus. <laughs> Who just does what he thinks is. He sees his dad do and he just does it. He was the ultimate steward. Not once did he hand out his business cards. It's like not once was like ah. when when the disciples finally understood who he is. You're the Christ. What does he do next? Shh, don't tell anyone. Who does that? Apparently, that was his job to come and save the world. It's, it, he is the Christ. Let everybody know. It's like guys, don't don't tell the world just yet. There's something even greater to come. So, but sorry, I read this. This is something else. I read this morning um, where Jesus is uh, he's about to enter Jerusalem. And, uh, and on the way to Jerusalem, he's talking to his disciples. And he, he says it as plain as he can get. Guys, the Son of Man is going to get um, spat on. They're going to spit on him. They're going to torture him. They're going to kill him. Yeah? And he's going to raise after three days. Like, it, it does not get any clearer. The very next verse says that the sons of Zebedee said, Jesus, I want, me to, I want you to do me a favor. It says, I want you to do whatever we ask of you. How inconsiderate. Like seriously, this is the ultimate definition of selfishness. Here's Jesus talking about, guys, this, this is what it comes down to. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get humiliated. I'm going to get tortured. I'm going to get killed. And I'm going to rise again. And the disciples are like, I don't care about any of this. What I really care about is my fame, my glory, sitting at the right hand of the Son of God. Just like, just so you know, Jesus, I want you to. No wonder everybody else is offended with them. I actually, on the side of my Bible, I wrote inconsiderate pricks. It's like, this is, I was offended on Jesus' behalf. And yet, so often, this is me. Where all I can see is me, 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 me. I need this. I need that fixing. I've got, I need peace in this area. And he, he's so great. He does love doing all of this. But who is the master? Is it me that needs him to do stuff for me? Or is it him? Am I a steward? Or am I treating Jesus and the Holy Spirit like a circus monkey? It's like, come and do this. Jesus, show us your miracles. Do another thing, Holy Spirit. Ah. <sighs> Yeah, anyway, so there's large crowds, and he's not playing to whatever they wanted him to do. So there's large crowds following him. This is verse 25. And he turned and he said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. <laughs> okay? In the context of, guys, honor your father and mother. Guys, you know, 
just love your neighbor as yourself. All of this. And he turns around and does this. And he does not explain it. He just leaves it like this. Like, if you don't understand it, that's really okay. In fact, the whole purpose of parables is you won't understand it. I'm going to explain it to my 12. But the rest of you, you'll just get the very wrong impression of who I am. And that's okay. I, I, honestly, I don't know what to do with the side of Jesus. Discipleship is costly. It really is. And it's radical. There's nothing gray about discipleship. It's absolutely black and white. Now, it is really in, the, we need to read everything in the context. And so when he talks about their hate, it's, it's not, of course, he's not asking us to hate our mother and our father. He says, guys, if you want to follow me, that commitment to me, that needs to be so loud than anything else that you put love into or commitment into before. In comparison to that, looks like hate. That yes, I was always saying that with, with you know, when I, when I married Ruth, that yes to my wife is so loud that there is no room for yes to any other woman. Hopefully, yeah? That's the whole point of one man, one woman, forever. Now, I don't hate any of you girls, yeah? But the, the love, the affection I feel toward you and the one that I feel toward Ruth, very different, yeah? And rightly so, and it needs to be so. And there's times when a couple of weeks ago, I was playing at the pub, and a girl came up to me and was like, hey, can I buy you a drink? And I thought, oh, that's very nice, but no. Yeah? That, even though I could have gotten a drink off her, and it would have been fine, and I just, you know, I've got two rings on, on both, both hands, because the Germans have the, the wedding ring on the right hand, the Brits on the left hand. And uh, Ruth actually bought me the left-hand ring, because I, I still got asked out in pubs. And it's like, no, 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 I'm married. Oh, you don't have a ring. It's on the other hand. So, rather, so in that moment, just it's not, it, it, it's not that I was even thinking, oh, she might hit on me or something. It's like, this is just not ever, ever going to be even a hint at this could be entertained, this thought. Yeah? So just thank you, but... I'll just I'll buy my own drink. Um, that's what discipleship is like. With me saying yes to Jesus, it's so loud, so radical, so extreme, that anything that might even give the impression of not being a disciple of Jesus, it's just not for me. I don't want to give the wrong impression. Does, does it make sense? Ha, okie dokie. Jesus goes on, verse 27. Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Okay? Now, he's not asking you to get crucified for your own sins. Yeah, that's not. Jesus carried that cross. That's the cross that he carried. What he's inviting us into is that laying down of my life for his sake. Whoever loses his life will find it. It's that, actually, me following Jesus will be uncomfortable at times. And, and to be honest, in our Western world, that's probably as 
hard as it gets. What a blessing. Seriously, I don't even mean that in a belittling. What a blessing. Nobody can, can throw me into prison or do stuff to me because I am following Jesus. I get to do this in this free country. It's, it's incredible. So all these trials and tribulations that the Western world is moaning about, it's just, it's, it's uncomfortable at best. Yeah. But that's, that's it. And now, and this, this is really it, where he's like, anyway, verse 28. For which one of you, when he wants to build a tower, does not first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation, he is not able to finish. All who observe it begin to ridicule him, saying, this man began to build, but was not able to finish. Yeah, that's still what the banks do. If you want to get a mortgage, you need to prove that you can actually pay the mortgage. And Jesus is like, guys, if you want to be my disciple, I know this all looks great and glorious right now. We don't really know when he said this thing, but he said, in a couple of years' time, even my closest friends will forsake me. They will run away, and it will look like everything is lost. Like, are you willing to lay down your life, your reputation, you're everything for the sake of gaining everything. That's, and, and it's still that cost today. It's still this radical thing of, do you want to follow me? And uh, I said this before about, you know, when Jesus called the disciples, there was never an offer that he made them. It was just an invitation, come and follow me. And as soon as somebody wanted to attach conditions to following jesus he's like uh, jesus isn't buying into that yeah jesus can i just can i can i put my family first i'm getting jesus turns around and let the dead bury the dead discipleship is extreme and radical yeah now because we it sounded really good we had this weird priority um pyramid where it's like god first family second Ministry third, yeah? And that sounds really good. I don't believe in that at all. I believe God first, there's no second. It's just, it's that. But in the love of God, there is room to love my wife better than if I would put God, if I would give him 51% of my love, yeah? And then they would leave, I don't know, maybe 38% for Ruth, a couple percent for my kids, and then you guys get one or 2%. And then the world out there, sorry, there's nothing left. Yeah, that's, that's what we've done in the past. And we thought that was, that was a good priority. No, God first, full stop. But in the love of God, there's enough love for my wife, for my kids. There's enough love for everybody. And there's, there's great priorities that I can make without, oh, yeah, without compromising. Yeah, again, it's, yeah, all of that it sounds really good. Because I, I think under the old pyramid scheme, it's almost like a jealousy between who gets more of my affection, my wife or God, you know, and I'm hanging out with Ruth and I just feel Jesus being like, so well, you know, Rachel, she's having a quiet time right now. 
you know, Rebecca, she's praying. Timo, what are you doing? Kissing? Kissing? Really? Is that what you? Is that your priority? And then I'm just like, oh, Jesus, I love you. But Ruth is crying at home with the kids. And I just like, yeah, but oh, I feel really guilty. But Jesus, I, I just still love you first. It's like, no, it's all one. And my love for God is being displayed with in how I treat Ruth and my kids and you guys and the world and everything. And it's just, it's all one. Where was I? Count the cost. Count the cost. But there is a cost to it. And I think it's that commit to finishing before you start. And that's what Paul is saying. Like, you know, I'm about to receive that prize, that crown. Because I've, I've run that race well. And I, before I started, I knew that it doesn't matter what it's going to cost me, I'm going to finish. Um, and honestly, it is an attitude thing. It's not... My brother, he's, um, he's one of those special forces people. Um, and honestly, the, the exercises that he has to do is, is outrageous. And it's, he's saying, obviously, he's, he's fit. He's, I love fighting him because I don't have a chance at all. Like when we still lived together and he was training, um, still lived at home. The only time I had a chance to take him down was first thing in the morning when he was still asleep. So I snuck into his room, jumped on his bed. I just like... <laughs> Who's your daddy? Who's your daddy? He was like, uh, and he just says, Timo, you got 10 seconds. <laughs> and it was, I had exactly 10 seconds. And then he chose. That's, that's all he did. He chose to take me down. And, and he's younger than me. It's great. He's, he's, I feel really cocky when he's with me because he's the best bodyguard ever. But both my brothers, they're just, my youngest brother, he's, he's big and tall. And my, my middle brother, he's, Amazing. So, yeah, the, the, the exercise that they had to do, it brought them to the point of physical inability. Um, one of the exercises is, today we're going to learn how not to breathe. Yeah? And it says you're going to stay down there underwater until you pass out. Yeah? And it's everything inside of you, your, your fight or flight What's it called? Amygdala something. Just, it's going to kick in. And everything inside of your body will want to survive. And the choice that you need to make in that moment is, and it's, it's all down to, I'm going to trust my team that they're going to look after me. If, if, me if, the, if the mission depends on, succeed depends on me giving up my life, I'm, gonna, I'm willing to do this trust that the team will always look after me yeah it's like i've just threw up blood had to be revived all of like who does that to themselves seriously who does that but you commit to finish before you start yeah when you if you have to make the choice underwater that you will always choose life yeah and it's it was that sort of thing of when you, when you make that choice, yeah, yeah, I'll choose once I get there. No. When you choose once you get there, you will always choose the convenient way. Oh, this hurts too much. Oh, this is too, ah. It's, it is 
I mean, honestly, stuff that is like getting beat up is it's just you keep standing up and your body tells you I don't want to anymore. And then you can see when people are giving up. You can see the choices that people are making. And that's not, I think that's the whole point of those exercises, to push people to the point and actually see actually are you willing to just, I don't know, keep pushing past the point of where you've, your body just cannot take it. It's not that, oh, I'm tired. You know, it's just like, I can't. Like, I'm passed out. And then, but your choice is to keep going. And Paul says, you have not resisted, you know, down to where it costs you blood. Ah, we don't like that. Because we're like, oh, but, you know, God loves me. And he would never. It's not God that puts you into those situations or causes those situations. But it's him saying, count the cost. Discipleship is costly. Set your, set your goal, set your eyes on the goal before you start walking. And when you do that, before you start, you've already committed to finishing. But if you just be like, I'll, I'll, I'll see how I feel when I get there. I'm telling you, you won't finish. Uh, is that still okay? Yeah, it's not too heavy. It's like, oh. So who wants to follow Jesus now? <laughs> don't, don't know. Yeah? And then he finishes. So therefore... None of you can be my disciple who does not give up all his own possessions. It is that. It's just that, Jesus, everything that I am. Now, we're talking about money, but you understand that this is not just about money. This is about everything. This is your time. This is your energy. This is your emotional. Ah. Because it, it really stands. There's so many things in the kingdom they stand in tension. And that's why we just walk with Holy Spirit. Because one thing that I absolutely believe is look after yourself well. If you need time to yourself because you just, ah, now I'm just really tired or grumpy. Just say, guys, I just need a bit of time out. And just, I'm like, yes, because now you can just, when you reemerge out of your cocoon, yeah, you're going to be the best version of yourself. And then there's the, the thing that stands in tension is like, who cares whether you're tired or grumpy if there's one person in front of you that Jesus like, would you like to spend time with that one? It's like, yes. You know, Jesus just heard that his cousin was beheaded and he's just really sad. He needs a bit of time to himself. And then there's just people following him. And he's like, guys, I just need a bit of alone time. And he sees them. And he's moved with compassion. He's like, these are, they look like sheep without a shepherd. How can I? All right, then. You know, just like, and it wasn't like, oh, for goodness sake. He had that once as well. It's like, how long do I have to be with this unbelieving generation? But apart from that, it's, it's just this genuine, like, all right. It's, so, so I do believe in both. Does, does that make sense? And Holy Spirit is letting you know which one is it today. Now, tithing is not giving 100%, okay? Tithing is your 10%. Yeah, that's, that's exactly what it is. It's your 
It's not 100. So it's like, yeah, yeah, I'm following Jesus. I'm giving everything. It's like he can have up to 10% of my kingdom. <laughs> and he, <laughs> can you imagine? Jesus turned his life. Okay, you can have up to 10% of salvation. It's, like, it's not that we trade. Please don't, don't draw that conclusion. But he's given it all. And he says, actually, all is the only acceptable answer to Jesus as well. So we're going to talk about tithing later on a little bit more. Um, Matthew 7, verse 20 to 23, Jesus says, So then you will know them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father. Really simple. It's like everybody can confess, oh, this, 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 that. But Jesus like, I'm not as much interested in what comes out of your mouth than what your life looks like. So coming back to Sunday morning, Sunday afternoon in our case, service, and you sing, Jesus, I love you, but I hate my brother. Yeah? It's like, he's like, I, do, I really don't care what you sing right now. In fact, Jesus says, if you are, you know, giving us, you're, you're on the way to the altar. And on the way there, you remember that your brother's got something against you. Leave your offering there. Be reconciled with your brother. Then come back. It's like, you know that all that singing? It means nothing if your life doesn't display it. It's by the fruit. It's not by your words. Because anybody can, oh, we are very good at crafting words. Just what does your life look like? Many of you will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and perform many miracles? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Or put in a different way, you who did stuff that I never asked you to do. You are not authorized to do. And that's a big thing. So stewardship, discipleship is not a formula. Yeah, this is because, and that's, that's the thing. Like, it's, it's his money in your hand. And what he wants to do today with that money is different from what he wants to do tomorrow with that money. Yeah. So in the past, walking walking down any road and seeing somebody asking for money, there was this guilt obligation to, I have to give, yeah? Just because that's what Jesus would do. He, he would give and then it's like, oh, they're going to use it on drugs and blah, blah, blah. And uh, I better buy them some food instead, okay? Because I don't trust you. And, but if Jesus didn't ask me to buy them food, if he says, give them your money, who, he told me to give them money. He didn't tell me to buy them food, okay? other way if jesus says buy him some coffee you better buy him a coffee don't give him money yeah the next day you walk down and you see somebody asking for money and uh and jesus like you know what i've got this covered somebody else is gonna do that you today you're just gonna treat your wife for a coffee like, yeah but jesus there's all the poor he's like i know you'll always have the poor <laughs> yeah today it's coffee treat day and I'm telling you, you would be practicing lawlessness if you give that money away. You, that's what stewardship is. 
it's not a formula that you like everybody that begs i'm going to give them some money and it's not like that it's holy spirit what do you want to do today and it both requires so much faith and trust trusting that your needs are still taken care of even though everything i have right now goes into somebody else's pot like yeah but i so wanted a coffee today this is our first world problems. Oh, didn't get a coffee. How tough is my life? Um, and then maybe Jesus says, you just don't need a coffee today. Don't worry about it. Or I've got this. Somebody else is going to take care of that. But then when you walk past somebody without giving them money, because you feel Holy Spirit saying, don't, it's not for today. You, you're not leaving with guilt. Or just this, this overwhelming sense of, oh, I should have done something. Oh, I'm such a bad Christian. You know, I just said, oh, bless you. Yeah, that's what is the Holy Spirit saying to you today? That's what stewardship is. You've got this and it's entrusted to you. Your responsibility is not to provide this stuff. Your responsibility is to ask the master, what is it that you would like me to do? I only, see, I only do what I see my father do, Jesus. I only say what I hear my father say. Yeah? That's what stewardship is. It's not a formula. It's, it, yeah. Go for it. Mm-hmm. Anyway, after about 18 months, um, and that wasn't the only giving, it was just this particular Somebody um, who I knew sent out this email and just said, um, I want to publish a book, God's put it on my heart, but because I send this you know, to a number of people, so just God asked me to be a part of this. Those, yeah. Come on. I so love, I so love his economy. I'm going to tell you lots and lots of stories about he's the ultimate money launderer. I'm not sure whether that should be on the internet. But he's honestly, you've got money. You don't know that person. But I kind of know both of you. So somehow he gives, I give some money there, get some money over here. And everybody has no lack 
I love this. Um, Ruth, um, Ruth and I were very intentional about giving um, in, in every aspect. Our, our time. The, the reason why we live in a house that we live in is because hospitality is a big part. The reason why we don't eat steak every day is because we, um, we want to make sure there's enough money for when people stay with us. It covers that as well. And, and we put money aside every week just to give. They just, again, don't know who to. But I want to encourage you just to... I'm really struggling with, with unintentionality. That's just my personality. Yeah, I love being intentional. I'm strategizing, thinking ahead, all of this. Still, hopefully, listening to Holy Spirit today. Yeah, but there's this. So I'm like, I want to be generous. But I cannot give what I don't have. So I'm putting money away every week. It's like, okay, this money just, just builds up. Like, a bit like Rebecca. And then when God, when somebody in church stands up, is like, you know, I'm, I want to do this. I wanna, and something inside me is like, oh, this is it. Yeah. Or something completely different. I once bought somebody else a moped. Just, you know, not a Christian. He had more money than I did. I just felt like, I think this is what Holy Spirit is saying. So I'm just going to do this. So it's not a, it's not a always cascading down, you know, oh, and then, oh, you have more money than me. So you should actually bless me. No, I just have some Holy Spirit. What do you want to, what do you want to do? What do you just full stop? Uh, so just putting money aside and then. And whenever there's now, yeah, Ruth and I, we have this, we have this thing. Ah, it always comes out wrong, but I'm very good at saving money. I love spreadsheets. I love, honestly, just to the penny. I just makes me so happy. Just, ooh, just seeing wealth accumulate. Yeah. And the potential that it has of just, um, being a blessing to us and being a blessing to others. Everything. Yeah. Ruth, she's really good at spending money. And this sounds bad. But the thing is, we work really well together. Yeah. If I, if there was two of me in that relationship, we'd have lots of money. I don't know. I'd be happy about it growing for what? If there's only there's two of Ruth in our uh, in our relationship, we'd we'd want to give everything away, but actually we wouldn't have much to give away. Yeah, so we just work. At first, it was just a bit of a contention where where I felt like Ruth, stop spending all our money, and she's like, stop being so stingy. It's and and actually learning to appreciate that our giftings work so well together. So on a Sunday, for example, or anyway, but Sundays is always the best example. Um, you know, the buckets come around. We just set our declarations. Thank you, Lord, that I have more than enough to give into the kingdom to promote the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yes. How much do we give? So Ruth is asking Holy Spirit, and I'm asking Holy Spirit. And we agreed that whoever has the higher number, that's the number that we're going to go with. Yeah? Ruth most of the time has the higher number. That's, it's a real challenge to me. It's like, am I just not hearing you right, Holy Spirit? And it's, it is this thing of like, ah, because I'm still, I know what's in the bank. Yeah. So my hearing Holy Spirit goes, gets filtered through. Can we afford this or not? And Ruth is just like, 
How generous do you want to be today, Jesus? She's such an example to me. She really challenges me. And most of the time we've got the same number. She's just got a zero at the end. This is ultimately frustrating. It's like 10 times more as much as I thought. Wow. But that's, it's just, it, 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 I love that. It's like, okay. Because we're making this decision together. And sometimes we have that money because we are, you know, saving up to be generous. Sometimes that means, are we happy giving that money away, knowing that that means we're not going to go on a cruise this year? Never been on a cruise yet. Not that it matters. But just some, some of those things are actual cost to us. It's always a, it's, no, that, let me put it this way. This is really not to make every, anybody look bad or look how great we are. This is just the choices that we've made. I'm choosing to bring my own lunch every day, um, not eat out. We don't have takeaway. Takeaway to us is a great treat. It happens probably once every other month. Yeah, We could afford to eat out a lot, lot more, but actually... I want to set some money aside to bless somebody else. And, and I'm really, I'm not looking at other people like, oh, you're not as spiritual as I am. Or you should be, you, you can't be a disciple of him, you know. Nobody can be a disciple of me if they eat out three times a week. That's, it's not like that. If there's anything like this inside of me, oh, I need to, st- I'm, I'm spreading myself too thin. If you cannot be generous with a cheerful heart, Stop. No, God loves a cheerful giver. If you're a grumpy giver, ah, me, and let me speak on Jesus' behalf. Please keep your money and just, just please go on that holiday that you really want or have that takeaway that you really want and buy yourself that big flat screen TV rather than feeling any sort of weird obligation and be grumpy about giving money. Oh, you know, my heart of money, you know, church needs. Don't. Really don't. We, we had a friend once. We still have that friend. Um, again, we have, just because we've got so many different just priorities, that means we have a very limited um, budget, household budget in our, for, for our weekly. This is, this is what we live on as a family. And, uh, and out of that budget, Ruth still manages to just feel like, you know, I want to buy something for somebody else. Or they really seem to struggle this week, all of that. So I remember her buying um, toilet paper. It sounds really silly, but it's, until you live on your own and you have guests, you, you, toilet paper, flipping heck. This is honestly... Forget bread and stuff, what people eat. You have people staying with you. They go through toilet paper like nothing. So whenever we go somewhere else, it's really, it's really funny, but we buy their toilet paper. And everybody's like, oh, thank you so much. It's like, yeah, we know. Yeah. So she bought somebody else some toilet paper and, uh, and other baked beans and tins and cans and stuff. Yeah. Um, and, s- and somehow the next week, Ruth just really felt again, oh, I just want, really want to just help them, support them. 
But midweek, she had a chat with that person. And that person said, oh, I would never shop at Aldi. Um, Quality. And Ruth was so offended because we don't shop at Waitrose or at, you know, something because Aldi is cheaper. And, you know, I'm, I, I love Aldi stuff. I don't. But there was this offense there. It's like, oh, little miss, I'm too good for Aldi, but I'll still take Ruth's stuff. And so Ruth is really struggling. And I, I sat her down. I was like, look, we want to be generous. But if I cannot be generous with a cheerful heart, because you will always feel my attitude. You will. Yeah? I'd rather not give you something and be it's like, okay, if you don't like Aldi, just I'm really I'm really sorry that you're struggling every week with finances because you're eating out and you're shopping at Waitrose. I'm not struggling with finances because I'm not eating out and and I'm happy buying stuff at Aldi. Yeah. I'm not standing there in judgment. I'm genuinely I'm sorry it's tough. But I I'm not feeling any obligation in this moment because if I, I genuinely want to help you, but there's just there was just a fence there. Yeah? And out of that place, I don't want to give. I'm just being a, I can't be a cheerful giver right now. And this is not me making an excuse to keep it all for myself. It's just, it's just uh, who else do we give it to? You know, generosity has not changed for us. It's more just like, actually, it would affect our friendship now. When I, because sooner or later, I'll make a comment. I'll, you feel it somehow that I think you're a bad steward. Yeah? And you don't deserve it. And here am I. You know, my kids are eating bread and butter. And... Your kids are having takeaway every night, and and I'm 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 being generous to you. It's like none of that stuff. If you don't, if you can't be generous, don't do it. Yeah. So in church, somebody asks for money. If you can be, if you can be cheerful, do this. If you can't, work on your attitude before you give. Full stop. Always be a cheerful giver. Thank you for listening to the I Destiny podcast. For further information. Check out www.idestiny.org.uk